Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Please take a second to subscribe on iTunes. And for future episode information and additional content, head over to HerdPodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at HerdPodcast. your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Thank you for downloading and listening. I'm Joe Hakeem, and tonight I'm joined by Nick. Hello. Vato. Hey, hey. Jason. Hello. And our special guest, media personality and host of the upcoming show, It's Your Show, I'm just hosting it, Travis Wright. Hey, what's shaking? Travis, It's Your Show, a concept that appears to be driven by regular people in regular neighborhoods, in the neighborhoods they live in. Uh, seems equal parts brilliant and very risky. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Well, ambition <laughs> should be risky. Um, I've learned that over the course of doing like, I don't know, thousands of interviews since I was in media and print and radio, that a lot of the times the people that you're interviewing, you're interviewing because you got some sort of press release, they're attached to some sort of an event, uh, some sort of an establishment. Um, in fact, I think, you know, even uh, most of the guys at this table, I've interviewed them or some sort of project or business that you guys have been attached to at some point because there's this worthy cause that's worth covering, which is totally legit. That's cool. But what I've also learned as just a regular bar fly, someone who enjoys conversation with my neighbors and strangers, is everybody has a story to tell. And there's a lot of people out there that are dying to tell it, but they're never going to have a press release attached to their average life day, their average work day. Uh, They're just on their way to do their thing. And so, yeah, I kind of came up with this crazy idea. Like, what if you took a microphone, a desk, kind of a late night talk show set and roamed around the city of Detroit, set up on different street corners, you know, that aren't Woodward and Larned or Jefferson and Fort, but, you know, like Six Mile and Second Avenue or Werner and Military and just set up shop. Opened up a microphone and see what people had to say. So, yeah, a little bit of risk. So are, are you hoping that people just walk up and sit down? And I, I mean, I, I watched the video, which uh, you can find right now. Yeah. There's a Facebook site. I think it's Facebook.com slash Just Hosting It um, on Instagram at Just Hosting It. A lot of people have started an It's Your Show, <laughs> but not a lot of people have taken that, self, that second self-deprecating step to uh, really put the host of the show – in the second seat, you know, that's, and that's part of it. Like when we talk about the history of shows hosted, we talk about the people. We, we say Letterman. We don't say The Light Show. Um, you know, we say Leno. We don't say The Tonight Show. People call it Fallon. Did you watch Colbert last night? No one talks about the actual show. It's all about the host. But why do we watch the show? Because of who's on that night. You know, uh, I'm watching because Steve Martin is going to play his ukulele again or something like that. I'm not watching for the uh, Letterman monologue yet again. I'm watching because of that guest. But why aren't we exalting the guest? Uh, why isn't the guest the star of the show, um, it, it, which is really what it's all about? The host of the show is really just a facilitator of dialogue, and that's kind of what I'm about, all about. So th- there there seems to me that uh, when when you say the show is about the guest – um, when you're when you're talking to regular people, how do you promote that as something that? Sure, yeah, you know, that's a good question. Like, how do you get the people right? So we shot this pitch video, which I hope everyone goes out right now and votes on. Uh, we're currently in this crazy process of trying to collect as many votes as we can for this grant from Gannett, which owns the Detroit Free Press, also owns USA Today, a number of other papers in major cities all across town or all across the country and the world. I mean, Gannett is huge, right? So they have this ACT grant. It's called the Community Thrives. Mm. There's three different categories, education, wellness, and arts and culture, which is my specialty. So I'm going for the arts and culture grant. First place in each category gets 100000 Second and third place both get 50000 and I, I really want to make this show as professional and as beautiful as possible. I mean, that's part of the mission of the show is to make this thing so damn slick that it could exist 
anywhere. It could exist on a premium cable package. Which, when you look at the promo, was very well shot, very well produced. It's not just a kid with a YouTube camera. Nick, that means a lot coming from you. I mean, you work in the biz, (laughs) so your level of quality is one to be considered. I I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, yeah, so hopefully people go and vote for this thing. Uh, for this grant, if we make it to the top 10 finals, it's in the hand of judges from Gannett. But the idea is really to what I call democratize the interview. Um, I think that there's a lot of fun to be had. I mean, every show ends and you'll see this in the pitch video. Every show ends and has even bits throughout of karaoke because I think that karaoke is uh, also something that democratizes talent. Um, it's one of these weird uh, venues in the world where we all enter on equal footing and no matter how wonderful you do or how pitiful you do uh right on vado my I, man I yeah just voted sweet so um yeah it's it's you know it's, it's karaoke it's just fun and i feel like detroit also in the last and i feel like you guys can corroborate this in the last couple of years karaoke has like really really taken off in detroit there's always been a scene in between like ferndale hamtramck in in the city of detroit proper but I feel like it's bigger now than ever. And so I feel like that's – I want to capture a little bit of that too. What what blew my mind is when I saw Punchbow Social do those private rooms that you could reserve. Yeah. I was like, now it's kind of mainstream. That's true. Well, that's like – they've been doing that in Japan for a exactly. long time. That's yeah. a very you yeah. know uh, East Asian thing. Um, I'm sure they have it in other countries as well. But you know, I think of <laughs> – I think of horrible stereotypes, to be honest. I think of getting, uh, you know, pretty drunk during the day in a suit and tie with a couple of my best buds from work and crashing into one of those offices and, yeah, singing Neil Young till <laughs> it gets dark and then going home. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, it's your show. I'm just hosting. So I, I feel like there's a connection here between, like, what you're trying to do and, uh, and, and like, the hospitality industry, how restaurants are very uh, – chef driven yeah. or or owner driven so there's these other pe- no restaurant exists on the chef's shoulders alone or the owners alone there's a multitude of people working at every establishment rarely are those people spoken to i'm so glad you brought that up uh, i started my professional career in 1998 as a host at the flying fish tavern on uh, 13 mile in southfield <laughs> and um i was a sophomore in high school and i wanted to wait tables and they wouldn't let me wait tables. I said I was too young because, I don't know, they were going for a kind of – it was kind of more of like a family tavernish thing. But they said if you hang out and you start as a host, then you know maybe by the time you're like 20 years old, we'll let you start serving booze. And those days for the Unique Restaurant Corporation, which was Matt Prentice's group, as a lot of your listeners I'm sure will remember, uh, the mid-90s to early 2000s were the heyday for Matt Prentice and his organizations. And I'm talking about – uh, Morels and Northern Lake Seafood Company, and um, yeah, the Flying Fish Tavern. He had those delis, catering Temple Israel, uh, which he still has. I mean, you know, he was pumping out major food. That place on Northwestern that was like Excalibur and a million other things. And you got a training at that organization that was really legit. Uh, you trained in wine with Madeline Trafon, who I'm sure oh. also a lot of your listeners know. At that time, she had just become the first female sommelier. In the country and was head of the wine program at Unique. And as a uh, 16, 17-year-old kid from Southfield, they were adamant that the experience starts at the door. It doesn't start at your seat. It doesn't start from the door on the way to the bathroom before you get to the host stand. Um, That there is a first and a last impression. And everything that happens in between is really up to the waiter and up to the chefs and up to management. And and also up to themselves because let's all be honest, diners and drinkers have a responsibility too to be responsible patrons. Maybe that's a whole other subject for another day. But back in those days, I really was instilled with that that kind of education that comes for me from the service industry that I took uh, to be when I was a waiter. And um, and then I took that to the back of the house because I was getting served up really shitty side salads and I would cuss out. The uh, dude who was making side salads and um, the executive chef, even though he knew that (laughs) the dude was putting out shitty salads working pantry, he challenged me, you know, like, well, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Come back and work a shift. So that's when I I started working both front and back a house, um, which not a lot of people know, but I think is appropriate for this conversation and kind of setting up where this show is for me. 
I totally now at 35 years old tie to this thing that started at 17 years old of being a host and like what that means to really host somebody and take care of their experience uh, as if it were your job. And I feel like that that kind of falls into the whole aspect of the show of like treating these regular people as celebrities. Totally, totally. Yeah, that's uh, that's what it's all about. You might have heard a little bit of that in the background. Um, the soundtrack. So this is like such a Detroit thing. I mean, we got soundtrack by Will Sessions. Our guests can choose any song that they want to do karaoke. Right, Whatever on, it is, they, they all choose Motown. All right. You know? And how yeah, does yeah. that work with licensing? It, is that something you've had to think about? I haven't put this out yet, even. Well, I'm just he said I'm it's very Detroit, so they're not worried about it. <laughs> yeah, we're not pulling permits, dog. Uh, I mean, no, 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 no. Permits yeah. for the music. For right now, all of our music is going to be cleared by Detroit artists. Got it. Okay. That get what's up. You know, I mean, so I worked as a music journalist for years, which you're a part of a community, but kind of not too right. And like going back to Almost Famous, which is such a great movie. I'm so consistently inspired. By my genetic brethren, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, <laughs> you have to look at a photo, Travis, to get what that means. <laughs> yeah, we're part of that, like, what I like to call the Hoffman Wright Gaffigan clan. <laughs> Notice I put myself second because I got aspirations. But um, <laughs> in that movie, he plays Lester Banks, which is, you know, a famous Detroit rock critic, Cream Magazine, who consistently tries to instill the wisdom in the the lead character, the kid in the movie, the aspiring music writer that like, don't ever get it twisted. Like you're not cool just because you're around cool people doing the cool thing. And you have access to that cool thing from maybe a closer seat or uh, a, a listed spot. Like don't ever get it twisted for a second. Right? Like, you're you're not that, but you get to exist within that world, and you do make connections within that world that maybe, hopefully, one day uh, you might be able to integrate with and collaborate with on a different level. So that's where I'm at right now. Is like I have I have this great opportunity to reach back now across ten years of music journalism in Detroit and say, hey guys, I'm trying to make this show, and I want to put Detroit music on every single episode. Yeah, you know, who's down? And uh, so far. It's been a resounding response, you know, good, which, good. which feels really good because you know, you're kind of what you think is a symbiotic relationship, but at some points can be contentious, uh, is mostly pretty loving in Detroit. But it feels good to be able to do that, you know, to be able to say, like, this is a Detroit thing. You're going to hear Will Sessions throughout the pitch video. Uh, you hear cuts off of three different records as well because I, I have an adoration for that band. They make phenomenal instrumentals, so anyone who's making video should be utilizing their music all the time. It's propulsive. Uh, it's kinetic. It takes you through 30 seconds in the blink of an eye. This video is three minutes. I feel like it feels like 90 seconds. I feel like part of that is because of the edit. Dave Crossland over at Territory Post in Ferndale. And then also the uh, well, the videography work was great. That's Detroit Lives. Um, it was based in the Penobscot. Um, yeah, I'm just dropping. I'm just dropping all That's the great. thank yous yeah. over here. I mean, it, it was a, what I'm trying to say though is it was a collaborative effort. You know, like this is an idea that sure I had, but I've never produced video. Um, I've never hosted a television show. I don't have the wherewithal to make it happen financially. That three minute video out of pocket would have cost me about ninety five hundred dollars, um, which I do not have. In fact, I am unemployed. And I don't even have a single paycheck anymore. So it, th- when we talk about, you know, putting in good work and getting good work out of it uh, down the road, I couldn't do it without all these guys. You know, like, and it's it's been awesome what they've been able to accomplish. Well, we'll make yeah. sure to add all that on the website. So I appreciate can, that, man. Uh, you know, get it, including the, you know, where to go to vote, um, all the name drops that you just did, all these great. And then also we'll do the Philip Seymour uh, upvote, oh, downvote. Yeah. <laughs> let I mean, we're both that. just like pale, kind of Nordic white dudes. <laughs> um, I feel as like uh, one of the world's only Dutch Canadian Jews that I, I, you know, have. I don't know. I I contain multitudes, as Walt Whitman said, and I just feel like those guys are kind of get my spirit animal, whatever <laughs> albino moose it is. <laughs> <laughs> anyways thanks for having me and like letting me 
kind of you know don't think as yet wow I mean, he's gonna up. he's gonna ratchet out right, about good. this licensing i mean it's it was, true <laughs> it's, it's gonna true. be right there the same thing happened with uh the, the girl in the pot that we were talking to a couple of years ago. you know we were talking about the legalities of pot it's with, a uh, girl the beer in baron. a pot what was that what's the name uh, beer? you were asking about the organic oh, cocaine the, the or, uh, organic oh, cocaine Ashley. that's what it was yeah beer wench mm. beer wench Ashley, yeah yeah yeah. And she put herself out there and it didn't Oh, she work? told everything. We were just, oh, wow. again, I was trying to think of like crunchy people. Mm. You would want to know where your cocaine was grown. So it just went down a rabbit hole and they, I got a lot of looks like this right now. The one I'm getting from Vasco. Yeah, I mean, if you were doing coke, then you should at least have like a pretty decent grip on how many people had to die for you to enjoy a Big Sean remix, um, which is probably a lot of people. Do they though? No, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 you don't need to remix Big Sean is the point. It's, it's just fine the way it is. I don't know. Getting head shakes. From <laughs> yeah. just, yep, yep, there it is. I'm just used to it from now. Pulling the badge out on you. <laughs> Keep so, it up. Keep it up. So, Travis, the uh, trajectory of your career has uh, – you were at Metro Times, maybe some, somewhere before that. Yeah, so you, Real, Real Detroit back in the day for those who remember – I, I wrote for Real Detroit. Too. I know. Vato, Vato was there as well. Yep. Um, I was so, in it. I was just doing weird stuff. <laughs> Driving cupcake cars or things. All dolled up. Were you an all dolled up? <laughs> you know, was that? He probably was an all dolled up. Yeah, yeah, I think he was. <laughs> I think we caught him on the corner of 4th and Washington. <laughs> Hey, baby. <laughs> so the, you go from. I hope pr- one person out there right now is loving the all dolled up reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if one person is like. I yeah. don't think my mom gets it. <laughs> Fair enough. We caught Nick in front of Incognito. <laughs> right, right, right. Incognito, man. It was raise a glass. Uh, so yeah, it was it was real Detroit Metro Times. Metro Times WDET. And so you went from print to radio, yeah. and now to also did a bunch of work for Spin back in the day oh. when they had money. Um, oh. Yeah, and then they started bouncing checks. Believe it or not, Spin Magazine. Yeah, bouncing hundred dollar checks. I'd look at them and be like, oh. "You guys just oh." At some point, the same year that they overtook Rolling Stone, I don't mind talking about this too. I hope this gets out. <laughs> is at the, the same year that they overtook Rolling Stone for number of papers published, which was actually just a better move by Rolling Stone, who knew that people weren't mm. going to be buying print first <laughs> before Spin did. So Spin was like, "We're printing more papers than ever." And it was like 2005. So like, guess what the f was? Can you guys, you guys, who fuck, are, yeah. guess what the fuck was about to happen? Right, 2006 <laughs> was going to happen. It's called fucking Facebook. Your papers are irrelevant. So, anyways, Rolling Stone saw it first, and Spin was bouncing hundred dollar checks. I have to imagine that was like the freelance account, and not like the account. Uh, yeah, they had a separate account for this thing called that happened last okay. night, yeah. in which they would tap different journalists in different cities to cover concerts that. Happened last night. <laughs> Wait, and then they print it, and then they, and then it happened last week. It, it would happen like ninety days earlier, <laughs> and then it would happen around the time you were supposed to get your paycheck. That's <laughs> when it would happen, and that would remind you to follow up on the email, like that it di- that it ran, but you didn't get paid. Yeah. But it was fun times, and um, yeah, alt weeklies were great. That's where I started to do. Q&As that actually worked, which is a really hard thing in journalism to actually create a Q&A that works. Uh, a lot of publications utilize a question and answer format inside of a publication to save on time more than anything. Mm. Um, it's no easier editing. to transcribe, right? It's mm. easier to create a nice snappy intro, find a couple of the best questions, tag something at the end and put that up. I get that. It's efficient. But I was interested in conversation, and so that's kind of what led into going to WDET. Also, through college, while I was, like, working in in the service industry, um, in the summers and in the fall, I would work for my cousin who was a political organizer and campaign manager, and I would work on political campaigns. So this opportunity came up to host All Things Considered, (gasps) which, by the way, again, we should drink Robert Siegel. Yes, today. Retired today. Mm -hmm. Let's all please. I thank you, gentlemen. Here's to Robert Siegel. Cheers. We're all drinking right now. So that's the flagship NPR program, All Things Considered. I grew up weaned on All Things Considered and uh, had the opportunity to host the local end. And so, you know, not a lot of people knew about this like political spectrum of Trav, especially right before doing All Things Considered. I was doing a lot of like pot journalism, medical pot journalism. Because of the bill in 2008. And so I feel like I'd kind of been pigeonholed into this like, I don't know, arts and culture pot 
journo trav character that kind of didn't represent the holistic nature of my interests. So that was cool. Uh, WDET in radio was what I had always wanted to do. And it's a really weird thing to achieve a professional dream and then still have so much of a career ahead. Uh, it's been kind of the uh, you know, mind fuck of it all. So, so did you leave WDET knowing that this was on the horizon? This it's your show, the concept, or well, I had I've you know I'm an idea guy, so I have like a you know how you know how so I used to be a let me preface this by saying I used to be a slam poet. And it was friends with a lot of rappers. And at some point, fancied myself a rapper. But then I wanted to slow things down, um, which nowadays would make really sense if I wanted to be a rapper now because they rap so slow. It's almost like they don't know what they're going to say next. Or maybe it is that they don't really even know what they're going to say next. But I digress. Are you going to freestyle for us? No. Uh, no, oh, no, yeah. no. Because I was a writer. It was a thing. So that w- made me more um, – Akin to like slam poets who consider themselves writers, not just like those like off the top of the head thing. Although, it, look, if you needed me to, I would say let's drop a beat and I could do it, you know. But you could sing over our song anytime, anytime. But so, so what happened was when I was kind of doing the doing the writing thing, is I kept a book, and instead of just keeping a book always of like. Poetry, I would also, towards the back of the book, if you flipped it around, I would just have like an idea book. And I think that's always, you know, now they call it a vision board or you have Pinterest. Um, We have a whole number of vehicles at our disposal now to keep track of ideas that we have, apps that are great, like notes and stuff, you know, that you can just kind of track this. So I've always kind of been doing that. And I have podcast ideas and column ideas, but I've had a number of video ideas for a minute. And I felt like when I left the station, one of the biggest reasons was that I needed for myself to go off and like do my own thing. Um, I'm always telling people that feel frustrated professionally, like you need to forge your path. You know, like like I've done it multiple times. I did it at at Real Detroit before I got hired by um, Metro Times. I went six weeks totally in the wind, not knowing what I was going to do, but it ended up always paying off. It always pays off. Sometimes it's scary as hell to jump out of a ship that is more or less maybe treating you all right. That is a nice safety net, but a at ship some that's point, giving you money that is giving you yeah. money. And, and at, you know, DET, the money's okay, but like you're in the UAW, they treat you really well. You're part of Wayne state university community. It's awesome. Everyone that works at WDET is beautiful, smart people. Uh, it's it's challenging. It's it's great, but there comes a time when you have to kind of question, like, you know, well, what would it look like if I just did my own thing, uh, apropos of nobody else, um, just forged a path with this thing that I'm always telling our interns and things of that sort. Like, what if you, what if I just did it? What would that look like? And so that's kind of where the show came out of was. The beauty of the show, and for you, uh, for those of you who've watched the pitch video by now, because you know you found it, you've had plenty of time to watch it. If you haven't, now would be that time. You pause, can pause you, the you, podcast, right? Yeah. You, you you can see that it's it's like a it's a I think a pretty cool concept, but it's actually really nimble in its production. Um, you don't need to storyboard it out. It's going to be a half an hour long television show that you don't need to storyboard out, that you just have to set up your shots and then rely on humans to be human. And that's kind of the beauty of it. So, yeah, long, uh, long kind of story there to bring us back to to square. But that's that's where it is now. And it kind of always feels like everything came together at the right moment. But so this idea of you doing your own thing, um, you were kind of doing your own thing at the end of your tenure at. DT, right? You were you started Culture Shift? Culture City. Culture City. Yeah. Okay. So I left All Things Considered to do Culture City. And a couple things happened. The first big thing is that Detroit declared bankruptcy and was going through emergency management. And the leadership at the station at that time deemed that, and this is probably a good idea, that throughout that tenure. It would probably be good to put WDET's foremost senior journalist on All Things Considered, which would be the news director, Jerome Vaughn. And so after hosting All Things Considered for a couple of years, that felt cool to me. And part of that caveat was also 
and Travis, because you've incorporated so much music, arts, and culture coverage into our news day that we didn't really have before in such a concerted effort, how would you feel about kind of taking all these interviews that you do throughout the week and making a show out of it? So your interviews could be segmented out and appear on Morning Edition and All Things Considered in the morning and afternoon. And then on Friday, you can kind of edit them all together and present a show. That show started off as a half an hour show, quickly grew to be an hour long show every Friday at one. I did that for two and a half years. And then the station said that they wanted to kind of double down on the coverage that are uh, on the um I guess they wanted to double down on like what they were making, you know, because there's there's content that's bought and then there's original content that's produced within the station. And they wanted to embolden the original content and a consultant recommended that they create a show or a format out of this thing that they already had called Culture City, which then became Culture Shift. And it presented a shift in a lot of ways. And um, that's probably where I'll leave it. Without, I don't want to make it sound too dramatic, but it was it was a totally different thing in a lot of ways, and um, it was, you know, it was a humbling experience. It was an experience in which I learned a lot about myself, about what I wanted out of working in media, about what I thought of the role of public media, and kind of helped me to understand better understand maybe this like strident independence that I have, you know, that I think a lot of people have, but are afraid perhaps to sometimes put the chips in uh, because the paycheck is nice and, you know, union protection is a beautiful thing and having colleagues is a beautiful thing. But, you know, if the world is telling you that it, it isn't, it doesn't feel right anymore, that maybe there's a other challenge out there, another idea that would make you happier then you know, uh, by all means, I, I would recommend that people go do it. It's still scary, you know, like, I have a couple great freelance gigs. I'm narrating audiobooks. I'm proofreading ebooks. Um, I'm writing freelance, which has always been a thing. As a writer, you don't stop. It's just part of what you do. But at the same time, you know, th- this show, it's your show. I'm just hosting it. Like, that's, that's what I want to do. Like, I want to be the best talk show host that I can be. I want to, I want to make this my life. I want to make this my living. So from like a vision perspective, like, where do you see this? If if you, say you win, yeah, hundred hundred grand, even the fifty grand, right? Um, where do you see it going? So I'm in conversations right now with a couple different media partners as to Ooh. just how this might be presented, which is a very exciting conversation to have at this moment. Um, either way, whether or not I win the grant, this show is going to get made. Which it's just easier or harder. It's just easier or harder. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm uh, applying for the Night Arts Challenge as well. I, I would love to make this show without any sort of corporate influence whatsoever. I mean, this this show is kind of naturally like about the people. And so as independent as it could possibly be would be the best. Um, you know, there's a couple really great friends who own businesses in and around Detroit that have voiced their support of being sponsors to help make this thing happen, which has been great, but they don't want to direct the editorial content at all, which is also a beautiful thing. So to answer your question, Joe, um, I would love to do this show in Detroit for at least two years, but the grand scope of the show I would love to take across the world, which I understand is a very ambitious thing to throw out there, but that's like my season four kind of goal. Um, season one and two, I'd love to take all around the city of Detroit. Season three, I would love to take the show where the news cycle of the day is. So a couple weeks ago, a guy gets pulled off the plane in Chicago. It's your show. I'm just hosting it can set up in the closest neighborhood to the airport to just contextualize the show. We don't have to talk about that incident. We, we don't have to cover that in a different way. It's going to naturally come up. Um, you don't have to prod the question. You're there. People will talk about it. Uh, you know, um, daily, weekly, monthly, w- weekly. I think. Yeah. You know, I think that. I think that John Oliver's kind of hit a beautiful note with being able to reflect on at least a week's cycle of news. Mm-hmm. I have to say, um, as a news hound, as a you know stereotypical news junkie, someone who's voraciously consuming media on the regs. We have more of it than ever. You know, it's it's uh, people are frustrated and some people, you know, 
are not down with the daily news cycle, but they can't deny that we have more of it than ever. So I, I don't think that you have to cover the news. I think that people will address it or not address it. But I think that it would behoove this show to be able to pop up wherever it is. Like this week in New Orleans, under the guise of night at like four in the morning, the city of New Orleans took down these longstanding Confederate monuments. Let's go set up in New Orleans on site where one of those monuments was. We don't ever have to bring it up. The the context of where news happens will bring it up. So that's where I want to take the show is eventually I want it to be a weekly show that sets up in the midst of the weekly news cycle. And I think that could be a really beautiful thing. And uh, maybe for people who are still trying to wrap their head around what the show is, it's basically like last week tonight with John Oliver meets taxi cab confessions in humans of New York. Like it's a it's it's a meshing of a weekly reflection based on encounters with strangers um, brought to you in the format of a, of a talk show. How, how do you as the host like harness the volatility of that? How, how do you harness the volatility? I mean, that's quite like you don't know who's going to show up on the, the couch. Right. Uh, um, so, All right, so is this editing like post editing? But also – so I'm a huge fan of airport bars. And I think that some of the best conversations I've ever had have been at airport bars. And as a airport bar booze hound, here's the trick. <laughs> so when you're in a conversation with someone and it's thrilling for a moment because you're like, they're drunker than I am and kind of unhinged. And so they start talking about like why they're flying, right? And you learn that this dude is flying to Topeka to tell his high school sweetheart that he's always been in love with her, but he's 36 and they haven't talked since senior year. <laughs> and you're like, this is conversational gold. I mean, this is, this is what extroverts like myself live for. It's not to talk about myself. It's to talk just enough to get this guy to tell me this <laughs> right now. And it's only going to happen here. Cause I don't even know his first name. He doesn't know anything about me. All we know about each other is that he drinks domestic beer. I like a whiskey ginger ale, and that's about it. But then in the middle of the conversation, he starts to get really creepy about this girl that he's going to visit. He takes out his phone. He starts showing you all these screen caps from her LinkedIn because he's blocked on Facebook, <laughs> which you learn later. And so at some point, you're like – this has to come to a natural conclusion. Is this a real person? No. Okay. No. <laughs> All names have been spared for the what? Right. Um, no. This is an amalgamation. Nick, Nick, you never told this me about how you met him. Right. Right. So. But well, it, it always starts for me. I'm so I'm non-original. So where are you headed? Right. Where Where are you going? Why are you going? And then you just like let the world unfurl. But so so this guy gets creepy. So. What I've learned is you – if you hadn't already gotten their name or if you forgot your, their name or even if you know their name, even if you still remember their name. Uh, Nick, would you want to play this character for me right sure, now? Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All play right, it. So, all right, yeah. Play it, Nick. <laughs> You've never been this guy. All right. So, so here's how it happens. You have to make your decision to leave a good like seven minutes, three to seven minutes in advance. Okay. And as you get him talking, you steadily finish your drink. And then let's say I forgot your name or still knew your name, but I just need to get the fuck out of this conversation. So this is how you do it. And you can apply this to any situation in life. What's your name again? Well, well, it's Nick. Nick, again, man, thanks so much for your time. I seriously appreciate it. <laughs> and you get up and you leave. And in that time, you fit, you've strategically finished your drink. You've cashed out on the sly and you just say their name and you look them straight in the eye and you thank them for their time. And it's this a beautiful social cue that works in any culture around the world. That means this social contract, this time that we spent together, it's come to an end. And from here on out, we're going to go our, our separate ways, which usually means as – the person who brings it to an you got to find you know you got to find another place to go. <laughs> Hopefully you have to board your flight right. Ho hopefully you've timed it so well that now you get on the tram to head all the way down to gate sixty eight uh, at DTW. 
It's my favorite gate. You can get a little Zingerman's. But um, I digress. So that's how you do it. And, and I think it works really well in this show as well is some people, you just want them to go on. You're getting gold. They're just, they just continue to talk and you continue to tell yourself this is magic. They're amazing storytellers. They have a beautiful thing to say right now. They're actually making a fucking point. And then you have those people where it's like, oh, my good God. <laughs> it's, you still give them time because everyone deserves it. And that's the heart of the show. But when it comes to the point where it's just respectfully time to wrap up, you just t- say their name, shake he, their hand, look them in the eye. Thank them for the He was making a point too. He was making the point that he needs help. It was a cry. <laughs> that was a cry for help. Do you feel any responsibility to the to the sweetheart to be like, hey, right. you got some shit? Why Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I get her name. I I start hitting her yeah. up on Facebook. Like, oh yeah, that's making yeah. the situation better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Melvin's on his way. <laughs> Melvin. Yeah. Topeka will never be the same. So you used that because almost famous, didn't you? Melvin? No, Topeka. Oh, Topeka. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it was just totally subconscious. I was I was just trying to think of a place that like someone would really have to have a reason. Like a real reason like love. We apologize to all our listeners in Topeka right now. Yeah. Sorry, sorry Jim. <laughs> How does it feel to be to Kansas's third biggest city? You know, I just think about it sometimes. The complex that you would feel, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know, it's like <laughs> Grand Rapids. It's like, you're, you're cute. You're cute. Oh, yeah. That's, founders that's fighting words. Founders is coming to Detroit. Right, what right? up, guys? Yeah. What up? Charlotte Street, 2018. See you there. And I wonder why they picked that location because it's interesting. I have this theory that Temple Bar is going to get more and more busy because of Detroiters, because Detroiters that's like their hangout. Yeah, which is getting progressively Temple better. Temple Bar is going to get more and more busy because they're building a gigantic stadium. Yeah, right I guess now. you're right. Right next to it. Yeah, dude. Let's Harry's Bar is going to get busier. Let's raise a glass for Temple Bar not selling. Can we do that, or have you guys already done that in your life? No. Or you hate Temple Bar? No, I'm fine with that. All right, yeah. I'm just proud of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Cheers. I need more booze. They're a family-owned establishment. I'm so proud of bars when they make good decisions. This is going to be a bad mix. I apologize. Where? Um, yeah, but Charlotte Street, which my favorite thing about the Cass Corridor, and you can still see it right now if you drive up uh, from basically Temple North, and it's so wild to think about, is every street. In the corridor had its own bar. Think about that. You lived so close to the Charlotte bar that you wouldn't go to the Temple bar. That that was a different clientele. Mm. You were a block away. And if you go north on the Cass Corridor, there was a bar every single block that was your street bar. All right. Give us a year. What a beautiful – I mean we're talking 40s, 50s. Okay. um, You know, into, into the 60s. Uh, that that you could find your street bar, which was often just the name of the street bar, because it well, w- we're it, fresh out of prohibition, right? They're getting started, and these are like community spaces. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I think especially post war, you know, post post world World War Two, um, the VA didn't exist. The I mean, we're just now in 2017 talking about post traumatic stress and. What soldiers go through today, as horrific as it is in the theater of war, I think that we're all pretty familiar with like the sheer brutality of World War One and Two. Uh, at the beginning of World War One, it was fought on horseback, and by the end, they had vehicles. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about the crudeness of war and how sterilized it's gotten to a to a weird mm-hmm. extent. Uh, but World War Two, I mean, um, you know, people came back to Detroit and the arsenal of democracy and, uh, you know, they needed a damn drink. And and Detroit was there to provide and Hamtramck, by the way, uh, which at one point I saw a statistic had two bars on every block of the city. So if you lived on one block, it would be like re- literally what the bar that you're like within stumbling distance to is <laughs> like. <laughs> so crazy. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think 700 speakeasies during Prohibition just in Hamtramck alone. So well, like and that. what's the, uh, is it Oak Park that was dry up until fairly recently? Very, yeah, very recently. And yeah. that was kind of like the the shtick was that there's a bar in every basement because right. you couldn't go <laughs> yeah. to the restaurant. Right, right. So, yeah, a lot of uh, illegal Manischewitz 
still to this day um, being distilled without a license. Some plum wine. So, Thinking so of my uncle. I, I can't help but like compare what you're trying to do with at your show with the hospitality, like our industry, and, and kind of like I appreciate that the uh, the kind of you know the, the volatility of a cut like not, not saying customers are volatile people, but you don't know what to expect with anyone who walks through the door, right? And so the 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 conversation that occurs between the host, the server, the bartender, and the customer. It is crucial, right? Right. And and what the the server or the bartender is trying to do is make that customer feel special. And what you're trying to do, um, for for you know for better or worse, is making someone feel special or make someone feel like um, the choice they've made to sit in that seat or at that bar, you know, as the case may be, is is the right choice. To your point of making people feel special, Joe, is literally how I measure the success of this show. Um, it's not about where this show ends up online or on a screen or who promotes it. It's that feeling, uh, and we've seen it already, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, like I said before, you know, we, we have a beautiful chair, first of all. And when people sit in it and it has it has kind of – its arms are up high and it kind of can't help but feel thrownish and you can see that. And there's a special kind of scenario when someone assumes that role of guest and there's a sacred responsibility when someone assumes that role of host. And that, that – you know to go to your point, I think that that role – is something that I don't know. Maybe some Detroit eateries should actually re-examine in a lot of ways. Like it's something that I look at immediately. You know, if if so, if you walk into a restaurant and there's not someone at the host stand, doesn't it just immediately feel weird? Like something's not right. And so it puts you in this in this moment of like, well, if the host or hostess is gone, they better be coming back to the front with a freaking to, to go bag. Like they you, you, and you better be able to see like oh they were only gone because they were packaging up a to go, well then that makes sense now, but if not, it's it's inexcusable that you have to have someone cover that 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 position, and for someone who's looking to get into the service industry as well, I would think um, yes, there's more money to be made as a bartender for sure. There's more money to be made at a server for sure. But you're going to learn more about people and give yourself a leg up if you spend a little bit of time as a host or hostess. I mean, fuck the pronouns, right? If, if you're if you're hosting a place and you actually take that seriously, you know, I think of Rosie over at Cliff Bells. You know, that's the first like host that I knew by name before I could even drink. Um, he was over at the uh, oh shit in Greek Town. Oh man, the music bag is that what it was called? Somebody oh, help yeah, me yeah, out. Yeah. That was called that, wasn't it? Was it the music? Yeah, yeah. That, that, uh, it's a sports place now. And it was like a jazz and blues club yeah, back yeah. in the day. And I was out in high school uh, with a with on a date with a Greek girl from Marion. So so cliche. And we went to like Parthenon because she knew the owner. Because of course. <laughs> and um, I was asked my religion that night. Anyways, so we're walking back and. There's this dude outside of oh Par- man Parthenon or Parthenon. Two. What's the name of that bar? Is it the oh god? It's this is going to drive two, me crazy. There were two Parthenons. But Johnny Bassett was playing. Uh, Detroit blues legend Johnny Bassett, R.I.P. And I'm a huge blues hound. I mean, I I'm still am to this day. And I was like 17 years old, and I was working at the Flying Fish Tavern on Southfield and 13 Mile. And Rosie is working outside of the club and inside of the club as kind of the the front man. Uh, the host, um, and I stop, and I'm with this girl, and we're listening to the music, and he comes out. He's inside, and he comes out, and he says, hey, man, would you guys like to take a seat? And I go, I would, but you know, I'm 17, and she's 17. And, um, <laughs> That's okay, right? And, uh, and you know, I, I appreciate just listening out here, you know. And so she must have looked a little younger. I looked a little older. And he told me right in front of her, too, which was kind of rude, right? But he was like, well, dude, if you go take her home and want to come back here, I'll set you up in a booth in the back. Because he could see 
that I needed mm. this experience. He's the host with the most. You can find him at Cliff Bells. I mean, he's really uh, he owns that world as being a host. And so, what did I do with you know the world in front of me? Took her home. I took her home, <laughs> and I went back down to Greek Town, and I sat in a bar and sipped on a Coke um, and watched Thornetta Davis and Johnny Bassett play for the first time, and it was a real Detroit experience that I wouldn't have experienced without this dude, Rosie, coming out, engaging me as a person and saying, are you into this? Do you want to come back and experience more of this? And I, I, I'll never forget that. You know, he, he took it upon himself. That's what you have to do. You're not just there to give people a wait time, give them a couple menus, sit them down, and maybe fill their waters if your server section is busy. Like, you have more of a responsibility to do that. Uh, so, and your, so your restaurant she, will be better off with What's she up to nowadays? I was gonna say, you married her, right? You have, you have a kid. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> no. It wasn't meant to be with her. It wasn't meant to be. A list actress, right? Yeah, <laughs> she wanted a list actressing and uh, uh, yeah, star of her own talk show. Yeah. So, so kind of compare as, as someone who I, I worked for Real Detroit too, interviewed um, some celebrities, uh, and and so there's this sense. So you that, know, oh, what thanks, it's man. Like to interview, <laughs> first time you ever called me a celebrity. You know what it's like to be nervous for an interview and then let down by. Someone that you yes. thought you were excited for. Holy shit. So I, right? I interviewed Bismarck Key once, and I was thrilled to do it. Called him up. I, I couldn't have been more annoying to him. He <laughs> literally, like, one-word answers, like, totally well, fucked the whole interview. that's one thing. But I feel like there's also getting to someone and then talking to them and being like, oh, why do I like this guy again? Well, for me, it was, um, I think, is Isaac Brock from Modest Mouse was one of my first, like, rock interviews. And, you know, I was a huge fan of... Uh, that record, like we were all dead before the ship sank, or whatever the fuck it's called, I can't even remember. And I was like, "Oh, it's such a smart record!" And yeah, I love sailing, but I also love indie rock. And like, <laughs> thanks for making this record for me uh, <laughs> is how I felt. And like, you know, there's all these like literary references to Melville in it, and I'm like, this guy really gets me because like he's pissed off, but he reads, man, and um, he's so smart. He must be so smart, you know. And I was like, I when I interviewed him. I w- I uh, I could tell right away, like, he's not an interesting guy. Like, he doesn't really read. He was utilizing <laughs> literary references late in his 20s from books that he had read when he was 17. But it was, it was a false sense of intelligence that he was presenting knowingly. I mean, smart. Um, but, but he you – know, and, and, you know, whatever. He had tapped out on that record too. Like, that was his best record. It was his smartest record. I loved it. I thought it was a representation of who he was as a person. Total letdown. He was a total doofus, man. Oh. Like I got off the phone with him. I was just like, fuck him. Like I didn't even go to the show, you know, because you'd get the tickets, right? Like, you know, you get the hand job tickets. <laughs> and uh, like I didn't even cash in on the HJ. <laughs> but but here, here's the thing, right? So, so these celebrities, like they, they, they deal with us, journalists. You know, like, so they're in a hotel room. From 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. in whatever city they happen to be, sitting across from a publicist they kind of know and have a false sense of a friendship with, (laughs) on and off of 15 to 20-minute phone calls with 24-year-old wannabe Jack Kerouacs living in Royal Oak, Michigan. I'm talking about myself at 24 years old. I I was in the same boat. Like, I have this super deep question for you. (laughs) And they're like... You know, and, and some of them are amazing. Some of them can refresh, can get into it, and some of them can't. And either way, it right, it 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 doesn't matter. But we've been let down by that person. To to take it back to your original point, by that person who you expected the world of because of their supposed celebritaire, and the minute you peeled back a couple layers, eh, eh. In, in in all fairness, though, I mean, again, you say they do it. Everywhere they go, True. they're probably so burned out. Like, oh my god, someone's going to ask me. I like to imagine I'm, all, I'm always the first. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like there's like the one question that you're like, yeah, is so original. And they're like, yeah, I've yeah. already said this. Why didn't you look at my last interview? Truth somewhere. So I, I feel I for have, them. I, I don't feel. Give me all you know, their money, and I can go sit through all those interviews. But not all of too. them like make piles of money. Some of them make like normal incomes. But, I mean, there there would be bands that would be like on the road. 
in vans driving through the Rockies Mm -hmm. and like you'd lose the connection and then they'd call you back and they'd be apologizing to you and you'd be like, you called me back. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) You know, uh, so so what I think now is you never know what's going to happen when you sit across from someone with a microphone. What I do know is um, everyone looks weird when they fuck. And if you keep that in mind, then every interview is democratized. If you thought, what is this guy talking about? No, not me. You're playing yourself. We all are weird creatures. We, we say weird things. We create weird burp noises and smells. We're fallible people. We fuck up daily. And that's everybody. And so after you kind of accept that, then you start literally on square one that that like you're a human and I'm a human and all my job right now is to set aside all of my time to professionally put you on a pedestal and talk to you about what it is that you want to talk about. Something you're passionate about, something you did or something you're about to do, something that you think the media isn't getting right, you know, something that you want to set the record straight on. It's your show. It's your platform. It's your time to shine. I'm just hosting it. I'm just the facilitator. I'm just creating the venue. But literally, this is all about you. So, yeah, that person who's across from me, they're all my next favorite person, and I can't wait to talk to them. So I think it's a great concept. So tell people one more time where – Appreciate that. Yeah. Who, who, wh- what are we voting for? Where is it at? How often can you vote? How often can you vote? Yep. Vote every day. Yep. My name is Travis Wright. You can find me on Twitter at Talkin' Right. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Trav Wright. The show is called It's Your Show, comma. I'm just hosting it. We're on Facebook. And we're vying for a $100,000 grant right now from Gannett Company. And we need your votes every day through May 12th. And, uh, gentlemen, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. And Th- thanks to your listeners. Thank you, Travis. Until next time, dine well, friend. Mm-hmm.